Hello and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Fellowship of the Ring one scary minute at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. And I'm Norman Mitchell. And today we're going to be talking about Minute 56, which starts with Frodo uh, pausing in their frantic run down the hill after Mary asks him what was that, and ends with the second silhouette of the Black Rider, because you have the far away shot, and then you have the close-up. The more close-up one. Yeah. Yeah. So he's, like, silhouetted by the moonlight. It's spooky, spooky, spooky. Yes. So this minute starts with, like, them being filmed during the day in Mount Victoria. Yeah. And then the night scenes were filmed, I think, at least, like, a couple days after. And it was really rainy that day. Mm. And, like, that whole weekend leading up to that. So... The ground was really muddy, so they run down the hill at night. They couldn't walk themselves back up to the top of the hill to reset for takes. Yeah. They had to be, like, carried up on, like, a tram or, like, by other people <laughs> so that they didn't ruin their hobbit feet trying oh, to get back up the right. hill. right, because if they ruined them, they'd have right. to spend another hour or so and make Getting that. them put back on. Yeah. That's And, rough. like, they're working at night, so they have, like, a limited amount of time. Right. That sucks. Yeah, they're, like, working at, like, 2 or 3 in the morning. My Okay, so my question is, how long have they been running from the Black Rider? Like, at least a few hours, because they try to make it look like it's only a little bit past dusk, for the most part. And then, like, when about halfway through this minute. And then they're running for, like, I guess a few more hours, because then it's suddenly, like, dark. Yeah, because they're, like, pretty out of breath and disheveled towards the end of this minute when Mary asks him what's going on well not like at the beginning of the minute because he says what is that but right mary's like what was that and apparently frodo never answers that question they just continue to run all day and then at the end of the night when they stop here pippin is like what's going on yeah and mary's like that black rider looked like it was it's after something something or or someone frodo frodo wagons (laughs) i um i've always kind of questioned the delivery of those lines he sounds so accusatory he sounds really menacing yeah like a bad guy but yeah. we know they're not bad guys right mary pippin are some fun loving hobbit bros yeah but just the look on his face when he says frodo like it's frodo. not it's not one of concern it's one of this is your fault yeah um but i don't know i've just always wondered how long they've been running because like all day they hide I mean, the sun is still in the sky when they're running away from Farmer Maggot. Yeah. And it it looks late afternoon. Right. And the sun is still in the sky when they throw the mushrooms and, like, take right. off. Right. And it is getting darker, and I understand that if you're in, like, a wooded area, it's going to get darker sooner. But this is, right. like, The middle dark, of the night. Dark, Because the dark. light's blue. It's the moon. Right. And they go to Bree... The same night. And it's still dark. It's still dark, but there's still people in the pub. I mean, arguably, Brie could be the next night. Well, no, because as we'll talk about this week, there's the Buckleberry Ferry. Yeah. Let's talk about tomorrow. Yeah. But we don't, I don't know how far it is from the Buckleberry Ferry to Brie. I thought Buckleberry Ferry takes you across the river and then you go to Brie. Oh, maybe. That's probably true. We should look at our map some more. Yeah. The maps. <laughs> to the maps. Right. We'll just pour over pages. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure it's intended to be all in the same night. 
Right. So. But then the Black Riders reach them the same night? Like, is, is this all in the same night as next week? That doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Everything in Brie. And for a reason we'll talk about tomorrow. but Or maybe not tomorrow, maybe the day after. A lot happens in these next couple minutes. Like, it's the... It's this, this is the second, like, action sequence of the movie. Right. This is the big this is the stuff is chase. actually happening. Yeah. Let's get going. Which is refreshing. Yeah. But... The movie's really, like, galloping along now. No. Ha ha ha. I'm pretty sure this sequence from Mushrooms to Past Brie is supposed to be the same night. That's kind of frightening. Yeah, that's a big day. But that just continues to lend to some of the like time compression issues that we continue to talk about. That's a big day for our Hobbit friends. It is a big day for our Hobbit friends. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it just makes sense to me that it would be the same night because, yeah, they, they've, they, they are still in the Shire, but it's also the furthest away that Sam has been. From right. home, which is almost on the outskirts of the Shire. Right. That makes you wonder, like, um, how late does the party keep going in Brie? Right. Like, when when is last call in Brie? Never. <laughs> well, okay. So, if it's fall, if it's getting towards fall and the, the, I mean, sun, the sun sets earlier. Right. And when we see, like, the moon, the moonlight... It's not like high in the sky, right? It just so it could, it could be like nine or eight. Yeah, that's true. So I think, I think mushrooms like, is supposed to be a little later in the afternoon like than four it looks. Yeah, like it's like an hour before, or maybe thirty minutes before sunset. Yeah. So they're like wandering in the woods in the dark for a couple hours, which is terrifying. Right, running from something they're not sure what is. Yeah, that's a giant scary. nose and a hood. A giant nose and a hood. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think I think it is supposed to be uh, the the same night, but mm. it it takes them quite a bit to get to Bree in the book, though. I mean, yeah. as we talked about with well, Tom Bombadil well, and everything. But that's because they get delayed, and then they spend two days in Bombadil's house, right? And then they spend like another day trying to get through the Barrows. Yeah. I don't think there's a Buckleberry Fairy on this map that I'm looking at right now, because Hobbiton's there, Brandywine Bridge, and then you have to go through the Old Forest after you cross the bridge out of the Shire yeah. into Bree. Hmm. So, I don't know. Then Buckleberry Fairy would be on the, the Brandywine, or the Baranduin, as it's called by everyone else. Yeah. And the Brandywine goes straight through the middle of the Shire, so maybe it's intended to be closer to Bree than mm. uh, in the book. Maybe. Because you kind of have to play fast and loose with the geography in an adaptation of this story. Right. Even though it's, been ver even though it's very specific in places. Yeah. Because some things you just need to make work on film. Because the Barrow Downs... The Barrowdowns are not in the Shire, but they... They're on the outskirts. They're the, just on they're the other the side of the old forest. Yeah, they're the outskirts of the Shire. And then on the other side of the Barrowdowns is Bree. Yeah. So if we're skipping all of that stuff, yeah, that makes sense for the river to be the boundary of the Shire. 
in right. this movie. Right. Instead of the barrows being like a separation. Right. And the forest. Because, like, narratively, like, from the book, it makes sense to have Tom Bombadil and the Barrow Downs and then Bree because it's the straightest route. Yeah. Well, it is and it isn't because they're specifically avoiding the East Road. Right. Because the East Road will go from, goes from Hobbiton right to Bree. Yeah. Which is on the other side. And so. that's north of the Barrow Downs, I believe. Yeah. The East, the East Road is above them. But the Brandywine Bridge is, like, directly in the middle of that path anyway. So yeah. the river is still running straight through the Shire. Yeah. So I think for the purposes of this movie, it's supposed to be in the same night, though. Yeah. That makes sense. That, that makes sense narratively, but, like, falls apart if you try to look at the geography a little yeah. bit. I mean, if you are scrutinizing the geography of this movie versus what's in the book, it's not going to make any sense. Well, that's our job. As we just did, because... <laughs> And I think because, did do you know if he, this is a good, this is, we should have looked this up, um, but I've never really thought about whether or not he did the maps after or before he wrote it. You know, I'm not 100% sure either. Because. I imagine it's a little of both. Because, I mean, it's one thing to have an idea of, and I guess it just depends on your writing process. Mm. Um, a lot of people are more visuals, so sometimes they'll do a map of the world and then write the story. I don't think he ever did. I, I don't think Tolkien himself ever drew a full detailed world map, but he drew a lot of maps of individual regions. So what are the maps in the books then, in the appendices? Uh, I, I think that those are Tolkien's, but a lot of them, they're not like full world maps. Like they don't have the Undying Lands. They don't have the stuff right, in the right, east right. of Rune. I mean... I mean, but like just the regional maps. I think they're. I think that they were drawn by Tolkien. Let me see. I don't know. Interesting. You know, because I've just assumed that they're Tolkien, because you know they're just in the back of the book. And I mean, the map I know for sure was drawn by Tolkien as Thor's map because he did all the illustrations right. in the Hobbit. Right. I would. You know, I think it's safe to assume because there's not like a name or anything on it. Right. So, unless it says, you know, maps by blah, 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 so-and-so and such-and-such. And such. I mean, if anyone knows the answer to that question. Yeah. I'm fairly certain that they're Tolkien, but they may not be. Yeah. Because just looking at a map of... That's something maybe I've always just kind of taken for granted. Yeah. Same. That's why I'm interested to, like... I wonder if he ever... I'm sure he did talk about his writing process because he was a professor, but... I mean, he wrote letters to W.H. Auden about some of his writing process. Yeah. Um, uh, someone posted an excerpt from one. About Tom Bombadil. On yeah. our page about Tom Bombadil. Yeah, yeah we need to, um, I think we should look into that further because I'm interested as to see how the story goes. Hmm. Whether or not, because like Hobbiton to the Brandywine to Old Forest to... The Barrow Downs to yeah. Midgewater Marsh is just a literal, it's like a straight line. Yeah. And. But the hobbits walk it all zigzaggy. Right. And so I'm interested to, like, I'm wondering if he just kind of sketched out a world map and then as he was writing, he filled everything in. Or if he sketched out a world map, made it really detailed and then wrote. Yeah. Or if he he wrote and then just like came up with ideas of kind of 
where he wanted things to be in relation to each other and then drew the maps. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I bet I, I would assume it's probably some combination, a little bit of both. Because that's probably, I don't know, that's the way my mind works. Like when I'm thinking about things like a, like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Yeah. It's like building out a world is like, well, I want these things to be close to each other and then I'll flesh out details about them later. Yeah. Or I'll, and I'll sketch out like, an idea of like the shape of how things are and then figure in, out where to put stuff. I'm inclined to believe that he had a rough idea and then he wrote and then sketched everything in because to have those things in a straight line, pretty much yeah. going from like East to West is yeah. super convenient. Right. <laughs> it's true. But I mean, that's just the way stories work out, right? Yeah. But you're right. He probably like came up with things to like put in different places. Maybe not, though, because part of the thing about the Silmarillion is that it had a lot of details in it that fleshed out parts of the map that hadn't been drawn before, mm. like the description of Numenor as being almost like a star, like a five-pointed island. Yeah. Because people had drawn maps previously, like fans had, of Middle-earth based on some of the descriptions in other works. Yeah. But they didn't know the shape of Numenor, even though Tolkien had already written it down somewhere in his notes. It had never been, like, published anywhere else. Right. Because they were working off the very limited canon that they had available exactly. to them at the time. Yeah. No, I think I think for the purposes of this movie, Brandywine is supposed to be at the edge of the Shire. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Unless proven otherwise. Because yes. rivers are just natural boundaries anyway. Yeah. Although, we'd, we would have to go back and look at the map during Conserving Ooh, Hobbits. Oh, yeah. We should do that. Just go back and look at that map. Unless it's just a photocopy of the one in the book. Probably is. Because we just see it. I mean, like, it's not, though, because it's all, like, touched up and digital and, like... No, no, no. You know what I mean, though. Like, yeah. they just, you know, superimposed the one in the book, touched it up, made it 3D. Yeah, made it all pretty. Yeah. Put the put the people running away over it that we're going to see in movie two. Yeah. Hmm. Man. Yeah. yeah. I just, I've never... Really... I just kind of always taken the maps for granted. I mean, I think they're cool. No, they are, and I've never really considered um, the process of, like, where the maps fit into his process. Right, like what came first. Yeah, what came first, the the manuscript or the map. Right. <laughs> a, I'm inclined to believe the manuscript. Yeah, I'm and then to the probably his well. editor was like, "Hey, you want to draw some maps?" And he's like, "Sure." I mean, when you're coming up with the mythology as Tolkien did, I'm sure that he submitted maps along with the manuscripts for some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. You know what? I can check really quickly and compare to the map in the movie because in the extended edition copy of the DVDs. Oh, true. In they the have front the maps. jacket, there's like a map of their path. Yeah. We should check that for we tomorrow. We will check that for tomorrow. I will take a look at that. Because that, you know, that comes in, that comes more into play as the week goes on too. Yes. Sweet deal. This also, this minute, uh, includes the image that was on, like, the paperback movie edition of the book. Yeah. The silhouetted Black Rider. It's the far shot. Yeah. That's a super iconic shot. Yeah. It's really scary. It's very, like, Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. It, like it Headless Horseman. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Headless Horseman, like, which I think... It's maybe. probably intentional. Yeah. I can't imagine that, there, that it wouldn't be, because I feel like that same shot is in, like, that Johnny Depp Sleepy Hollow movie. I don't know if that came out before or after this. I don't know. I've only seen it the one time. And 
it's pro I think it's also in like the old animated like, oh, yeah, of Rock, like the same yeah. shot almost. With the Only, horse rearing up and the And he's holding the pumpkin. Yeah. I mean horses rearing up is just really iconic fantasy shot anyway. Yeah. But like the moonlight behind and like the yeah. trees on either side and the horse coming into view. And that's like right out of the adventures of Ichabod Crane. It also it adds to the suspense. Yeah. I mean it is a little cliche. Also. But it kind of taps into that like horror aspect. Yeah. And either tomorrow or the day after, I don't remember which, right off the top of my head. Yeah. It's kinda of hard to, to keep just one minute at a time stuck <laughs> in your brain when you're watching a minute. We um, gotta. I know, but it, it's hard to keep it like stuck in your brain, like what your when visuals happen when you're not like watching it the minute at a time in the moment. But we haven't seen more than one black rider yet. So as far as the hobbits know, they're running away from, from one. one. Yeah. Well, as far as the audience knows, there's only there's, no, no, that's not true because we see the nine of them leave, and yeah. Saruman says the nine have left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-uh. But the hobbits have only seen one. Yeah. And because as far as we know, there's only been one running around the Shire looking for them. Because we've only any time we've seen them in the Shire, yeah. Other than that far shot with the sheep, we've only seen one. No, there's only one in the far shot with the sheep. Was there? Far shot with the sheep. Yeah. I think there was more than one in that shot. But like when we've seen them walking around in in the Shire, like Shire Baggins is just one guy. Yeah. Everything's kind of blending together. I don't remember if there's more than two or more than one for a farmer maggot. No, there's just one. There's like Shire Baggins and the the dog retreats inside. It's just one black rider. I thought you would like hear multiple horses though. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not like a sound person, so I'm not always paying super close attention to the sound. That's fair. You know, it 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 paints the it helps paint the movie for me, but it's not something I have ever like really actively paid a lot of attention to, like sound effects, music, much more. Well, there's like pots and pans in this one. You were looking yeah. for them, and those are a really obvious sound effect, so I listen for them. <laughs> you know, like. It's a really obvious noise that should be happening every time Sam moves. Yeah. So when they're absent or drowned out, it's really noticeable. <laughs> You're so just like, hyper aware of pots and pans. Yeah. Because you like to cook. I suppose. <laughs> I, I like the... um. One other thing in this minute that I want to talk about real quick is when Frodo stops right at the beginning of this minute and the way the music slowly kind of swells as he opens his hand and looks at the ring. Yeah. Is it's a really powerful moment, and it really communicates like Frodo beginning to understand that this thing is going to try to screw me. Yeah, like it's when he first be- kind of becomes aware of like the ring having a force over him. Well, I think like because that's what we're. So- I think that's what we're supposed to get as the audience in this like the last minute in this one. And like the way he looks at the ring is that that's the first time he's felt the ring push on him. Yeah, that's that's true. So I and I think that we're supposed to kind of feel that weight with the music as he slowly looks at it. It's almost it's like it's almost like a rowing beat. Yeah. Like it's just back and forth and back and forth the music. Yeah. It's very deliberate. Yeah. But I think it adds to the it brings the threat um, closer. 
Because up until this point, like the conversation with Gandalf about the ring, it's very esoteric. It's a very like... He's being told this thing is threatening. He's being told this thing is evil. Right. And like, he, I think he, he had, they catch a glimpse of what the ring can do because, you know, the, the, the whispery bits. Hey guys. But yeah, pay attention to me. But I think that up until this point with the writer being so close, the writer is what makes it real and immediate yeah. and really terrifying. Yeah, because. And as we'll get completely established next week, this is starting to illustrate illustrate to the audience the connection between the ring and the rider. Because yeah. it's zeroing in when it's smelling on Frodo more when he's holding the ring yeah. than when it's just in his pocket. Right. It can feel the ring pushing, and it can become aware of the ring being active. And, like, this is the first establishment of that. And next week we get the really clear connection. Right. But we'll talk about that next week. Yeah. That is neither here. Nor there. Nor there. Nor Just the far away in Bree. <laughs> so we are from the website duelinggenre.com. You can email us, contact at the at lordoftheringsminute.com. Twitter, L-O- at lotrminute. Tumblr, lotrminute.tumblr.com. We have a Facebook page, which you can like, as well as a listener group, which you can join. Uh, if you have a moment, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And you can also check out the other podcasts on the Dueling Genre Network, such as The Doctor's Companion, which is our Doctor Who podcast that I co-host with Scott and Nick, two of our previous guests on this show. Scott and Nick host Back to the Future Minute, which is coming back uh, January 2nd with Part 3. Um, Geek by Night also returns next next year. Uh, it's our fictional audio drama podcast, and Harry Potter Minute is going on right now, so check all those out. Um, you can also support us on Patreon, which you can con- which you can access from duelinggenre.com slash support, as well as a one-time do- PayPal donation button. I cannot read this today. <laughs> and merch. And special thanks, as always, to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182, and we will see you guys again tomorrow. Have a great Monday. Bye.